I remember having a dinner at one table. We had a guy who was a former member of British Parliament. We had another guy who had just sold his business to Disney for $300 million. And we had another guy who had been on America's 10 most wanted list for 14 years. And we're all sitting there having a conversation together. And I'm thinking, this is unbelievable. I mean, where else in the world could you be sitting and having dinner with this group of characters? This is Up in the Air, a show about travel adventures, frequent flying, and the unique experiences we have along the way. I'm Ian Grimace, and in this episode, you'll hear from John McKeon about how he scoured the earth for an ice-breaking cruise ship, what it's like to wake up and find yourself surrounded by penguins, and how he created one of the best Antarctic expedition companies sailing today. For most seasoned travelers, a great white whale haunts them in the South Pole. Antarctica. A continent with no country, it's typically the last continental plate to be checked off of any globetrotters list. For many people who do visit, it's usually the culmination of saving, anticipating, and then the commitment to make the trek. But for John McKeon, it's just another day at work. John is the CEO of Polar Latitudes, an Antarctic expedition company that takes guests to the Antarctic Peninsula throughout the summer in the Southern Hemisphere. And I was amazed at some of the stories of guest experiences he described in our interview. From beaches covered in whale bones to listening to the thunderous noises of ice cracking and breaking while camping on the shore of the notorious continent, to the extreme measures his company takes to ensure it stays as pristine as his first visit, I was fascinated with the tales of his experiences and hope to visit soon, especially now that I know what to expect. It can be nice and warm and pleasant, dare I say, down in Antarctica. It's not always blizzard weather. So during your cruising season, what's it like? Well, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. The, the most common question people ask us is, uh, you know, how cold is it going to be? How do I stay warm? And, uh, you know, the fact of the matter is it is summer there. Uh, of course. Right. Summer is a relative term. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, but typically on days when we're down there and we're doing landings, you know, it's 25, 30 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, yeah, so. You know, it's cold, but it's it's a, a pleasant day. Uh, we have, unfortunately, I mean, and I say this unfortunately, you know, we have hit days when it's up well over 40 and close to 50. Wow. Which is really not what we're looking for. Yeah. Right? Um, but, you know, the, the, you know, when we're there, it's, it's generally quite pleasant. The interesting thing about Antarctica is um, – it's a wild and woolly place mm -hmm. and you know, you can be there and it's pristine and gorgeous and sunny. And in a moment it changes. Yeah. So, you know, we're always prepared for, for whatever comes our way, but it's, it's not near, you know, it's not those scary things that you see on, on those uh, nature shows about, yeah. you know, howling winds and right. all that sort of stuff. We try to avoid that. And we'll, we'll get into this a little bit more later, but I, I, you know, you mentioned 40 or 50 degrees and I assume just based on the tone with which you kind of conveyed that, that that is um, perhaps indicative of a trend and pretty unusual. It would have been extremely rare maybe 20 or 30 years ago. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's the trend we're seeing around the world, but it, it, it yeah. you know, the trend is exacerbated in both the global regions, North and South. And so, you know, it, it you know, it, it's undeniable. It is happening. Yeah. So, so let's, let's walk it back. Tell me about the, your first visit to Antarctica. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I had been working for a company for many years uh, that specialized in African safaris. 
And, you know, I'd been there many times and, and I was thinking, man, this is, this is it. It doesn't get any better than this. Yeah. And I, you know, like to think I'm clever, but actually I'm just lucky. And so I, I had a chance to, to get a job working for this company that, that specialized in Antarctica. And, um, I said, okay, fine. It was a good job and a nice advancement for me. So I took the job, but knew no, absolutely nothing about Antarctica. You know? Yeah. And to be frank, couldn't even figure out why anyone would want to go there. I mean, you <laughs> know. and so I went down the first time and, you know, completely open-minded and it was really nice. You know, I, I saw some beautiful things that, you know, everyone goes for different reasons. Mine, of course, was slightly different because I was running the company. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it was nice. You know, I, I wasn't, terribly blown away the second time i went down did you go on were you there on a on a cruise kind of similar to yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, i mean it was a a, with the company that i was working with so you know i i i I, you know as i said i wasn't completely blown away but the second Mm -hmm. time i went down that's when i i I began to understand how this place is so different and what Mm. what makes it so special the 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 person who was the expedition leader at that time uh, and, you know, the head of, of, of each voyage is called the expedition leader. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, listen, here's what you need to do. Just go over there, see that rock, go over, sit by yourself, be quiet, don't say anything, and just sort of let the whole thing sort of wash over you. And yeah. when you do that, and, and since then, I, I advise all of our clients to do that. You know, just find a spot mm. where you go off by yourself, just sit there, and, and it literally feels like you're either on a, a, a different planet yeah. Or that you're the last person on this planet. I mean, it's, huh. it's a it's a sense that you can't get anywhere else in the world. And to me, that right. was the key, just learning how to do this thing the proper way. Yeah, that's a great takeaway that there are, there are absolutely the right and wrong ways to experience a destination. Yeah, you know, it's that way anywhere, you know, and, and God love everybody. They all do want to do their own thing. But, you know, I think this is a place that needs to be treated with a certain amount of respect and deference. Mm-hmm. Well, it was good of the expedition leader to have the foresight to recommend you you do that, of course. And now you've worked it into your your offering. That's great. So now you, your cruises leave from Ushuaia, Argentina, right? Correct. Yes. And what was it like when you went down there the first time? And kind of what's that area like now? I imagine that this industry has kind of transformed that that town. Yeah, city. it's a, it's a, it's a really interesting town. You know, uh, when you first see it. It's it's so it seems like it's sort of a cowboy outpost. You know, it's it's, <laughs> it's a small little place nestled at the foot of the Andes. Uh, you know, from a natural perspective, it's spectacularly beautiful. Sure, um, but it's a little you know quaint little town, a lot of dirt roads and unpaved streets and that sort of thing. Um, and in the fifteen years or so that I've been going there, I mean, it's exploded. Yeah, it now has close to a hundred thousand people. Oh my gosh! Wow. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's huge. And, um, you know, it's really becoming uh, the hub for all Antarctic travel. Yeah. And so there's, you know, there's 15, 20, 30 ships that are coming in and out all the time. Yeah. Do you guys work with a lot of locals? Yeah, as much as we can. I mean, it's part of our ethos about travel is that we, we try to sp- try to spread as much of what we can to local c- communities, local vendors, suppliers, staff, you know, we have a number of people who live in Ushuaia who are, mm-hmm. you know, our staff of ours. Um, and I think that helps. It helps everybody. It helps uh, the local economies. 
It helps mitigate, you know, whatever effects travel might have on an economy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we just think it's it's a it's a much better and cleaner and and, and more ethical way of, of doing what we do. Now there's a hundred thousand people that live down there, and I know from my perspective, it feels like in the last I want to say five years, five six years, all of a sudden I I start hearing from all these people. Yeah, I I, I went to Antarctica recently, and I'm like, holy crap. <laughs> Like people are just doing this all the time now. So I feel like this really took off and these numbers in Ushuaia would, would kind of support that theory. But how did that happen? And, and then I have some follow-up questions. Sure. I mean, how it happened, I think it's, 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 it's the sort of natural evolution of, of, of travel to a place. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, 15, 20 years ago when I started and of course, Antarctic travel started long before me. Um, you know, it was pretty hardcore characters. You know, yeah. we were on relatively uncomfortable old Russian ships. Um, it was not unusual to be on a ship that only had 40, 45 people, you know, passengers. Um, you know, really not meant for, for passenger travel. These were, were work vessels that were, you know, uh, reconverted. You know that was the that was the 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 universe of travelers back then. You saw really hardcore people who even knew about Antarctica. I mean, at the time, yeah. you know, it wasn't really a known destination. But it has evolved, and it has evolved as, as you know many places do. Um, word gets around, and you know it becomes a little bit easier to get there. There's more flights. The ships are a little more comfortable. Yeah, I mean, everything starts to move in a certain direction, and I think that's fine. And it's it's the natural evolution of what happens. Uh, you know, around the world, but it, it's it's a very important, a very important piece of this is that we have to evolve in a way that doesn't take away from this destination. You know, we can't allow right. it to become a place that gets eaten alive by tourists. Yeah, uh, as many places are. You know, uh, you know Machu Picchu and Venice, and you know you can you can yeah. name any number of pe- places that are literally being chewed to death by tourists. Right, right. Over tourism, we're not going to do that. We're just simply not going to do it. Yeah, it's crazy that that's a possibility. I mean, I know that you're speaking in relative terms, but it's interesting that that's a possibility in a place as remote as Antarctica. Yeah, it's. I'd have to say we have to keep the keep the term relative uh, in our heads, right? On average maybe 50 or 60,000 people will, will visit the Antarctic Peninsula. And, you know, that's, fr- from our perspective, that's a tremendous amount of people, right? Yeah, it, it's, yeah. it, but th- that's fewer people than will go to the Super Bowl next year. Uh-huh, right. Um, I live in Vermont, which is, you know, a beautiful place, very, uh, very green, very environmentally conscious. Yeah. Uh, you know, wonderful place to live. Eight million people will visit Vermont in a typical year. We're talking 50,000 people to an entire continent. Yeah. So, you know, keeping it in perspective, I think, is important. However, uh, it's important that we, you know, and, and there are physical limitations. And and, and quite honestly, there, there's financial limitations. I mean, yeah. it's not inexpensive to do this. Right. And so, you know, there's a natural barrier that's built just in, in that sense. Yeah. And by the way, you're going to the most southern the southernmost city in the entire world. It's hard to get there. Ushuaia. You know, yeah, this isn't right. like hopping on a flight to Miami. This yeah. is, you know, this is a big deal. You have to travel at least through three airports. Yeah. It takes two days to get there. Yeah. And then when you get there, 
you know, you're, you're about as far away from civilization as you can get. Yeah. And then you're on a boat for how long? I mean, I suppose it depends yeah, on you, the... <laughs> then you get on a ship and, uh, you know, it typically is a day and a half to two days. To get down there. To get, a, to get across the Drake Passage. And then you get into the peninsula where, you know, things are, are you know, that's where it's all happening. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, it, it's, I don't mean this in a, in a sort of an elitist way, uh, because certainly we, we like to be open to everybody, but it is sort of a... Uh, it, it, there's a certain restriction just because of the, the physicality and the finances of it. Yeah. When you started with Polar Latitudes, 2010, right? Yes, correct. How did you go about finding a ship to offer this service? Because you have kind of a specialized cruise ship, and we'll we'll get into that as well. But I'm, (laughs) I'm like, all right, somebody hires me to run this, and they're like, find a ship. I'm like, all right. Well, you're the, you're the, uh, I have to say you're the only guy in 10 years who has ever asked me that question. And it's the exact right <laughs> question to ask. So congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> um, I worked for a different, when I got into the industry, I worked for a different company, right? Um, we were the leaders in polar travel. We had eight ships. We were going all over the place, North Pole, Antarctica, you know. Um, uh, and so, you know, one thing led to another. The company got purchased by a, a, a larger travel conglomerate and then that got purchased by an even larger travel conglomerate. And, you know, the next thing you know, doing what we love doing really became how do we squeeze more money out of every transaction? You know, mm-hmm. like that's just it's it's what happens when, you know, that that sort of things happen. So, yep. you know, a couple of us decided this just really isn't what we want to do anymore. So we left and we said, let's let's get a ship. This leads to your question, by the way. <laughs> let's get a ship and just do our own thing. We, we You know, we've been doing this a long time. We know how to do it. So, you know, so we left. Um and it wasn't really hard to find the money to start the company. Mm-hmm. Ironically, that was the easy part. It took us two years to find a ship. Oh my gosh! So for two years, we were we were an Antarctic uh, uh, expedition company that had no ship. <laughs> right? That's a tricky <laughs> which one. Was a little, which was a little weird when yeah. I would go visit partners and you know try to get them to sell our products. And well, what is your product? Well, trust me, we'll have one soon. Um, <laughs> it will be great. <laughs> <laughs> and it's going to be great. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was, it was, that was the hardest part. We looked at everything that w- that could float. No kidding. Uh, little ships, big ships, um, you know, and then as often happens in life, it just, by luck, we came upon this one ship that was perfect for us and it happened to be available and mm-hmm. the, the money wasn't too bad. So we just took the plunge and, you know, that was, Eight years ago. So we've been operating for eight years, but in business for 10. Okay. Yeah. Interesting story. And you have a new ship now, or maybe that was supposed yeah, to yeah, launch yeah. this year, but of course we have a pandemic, yeah, well, which you may have heard about. Yeah, no, I, I heard there was something about a pandemic. Yeah, I'm not something sure. like that. As a matter of fact, I, I worked on the last voyage of, of our, of last season. Right. And, um, we had some, some fairly well-known filmmakers that were coming down and mm-hmm. do some filming for us. And so I was sort of their personal valet and I would drive them around in the Zodiac and, yeah. you know, oh, I need this light and this shot and all that sort of stuff. So it right. was a really fun trip for me. Yeah. Uh, and, and I came home and I, I fly into Boston and I, you know, take the bus home from there. I stepped off the bus on March 13th of last year oh. and I felt like I stepped into the twilight zone. No kidding. And so literally it's been almost a year now that we, you know, we have this, this pandemic thing's been 
been affecting us. But yeah, we do have a new ship. New is again, we're, relative we're term. you know using that term relative, relatively new ship. It it was built in 1991, mm-hmm. and it was the original expedition ship, the first one ever built to be purely an expedition ship, and it's still to this day, one of the best in the business. And we were, again, quite lucky that we were able to to get our hands on it. So um, we had used other ships previously, and we love them. They're, they're wonderful. But this ship gives us more of what we loved about those ships and a little bit less of what we found to be problematic with those ships. I read that it has a science lab, which seemed really interesting. What do you well, use that for? Well, it doesn't now, but we're, we're building that, right? So okay. oh, sure. we've decided that one of the best ways to keep travel to Antarctica, you know, sustainable and and defensible really is to to contribute to the environment, right? Mm-hmm. So rather than being going down there and and you know, the our within our industry our, our ethos is always, you know, leave no trace. Yeah. Which is perfectly cool, right? But I think we should go beyond leave no trace and actually let's let's actually leave the place better for us having been there. Yeah. Right. And the way we've chosen to do that is we we've tied ourselves to the science community. So we we do science projects uh, for a number of major uh, institutions, uh, Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute in Cape Cod and the Scripps Institute. And we do a project for NASA. And so on all of our voyages, we have science going on throughout the voyage, which we can then feed back to these organizations, because the issue is. They have all these projects, but none of them really have the money to send people down there to do the research. Yeah. So we've created this 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 program where we're actually doing research while we're we're down there traveling, thereby contributing to the you know global uh, collective of knowledge about yeah. this area. Um, and so for on this new ship, one of the things that we really think is super cool about it is there is a place where we can actually create a full on science lab, and so we can then have. <clears throat> we can go a step further and rather than collecting data, which we then have to upload and send off to someone, we can actually have the science and the analyzations going on right on board. Um, That's awesome. And so there will be the, you know, these science projects that all of our passengers participate in as well. If they, you know, optional, of course, but if they want to, they can be out there doing, you know, phytoplankton samples and, and we, we do whale research and, you know, all kinds of really cool things. Yeah. So the, the lab that we're building on this new ship uh, really gives us an opportunity to take this to to another level. Yeah, that's really interesting. So, you, you know, you've got these guests. They're really going to be well-traveled people. They've taken a lot of time. They've made a big commitment. They've traveled pretty far. And what kind of person is going to get the most out of this experience? Yeah, that's a... Uh, yeah, you must have done this before because that's another good question. <laughs> You know, as with anybody in, in, in a, a job like mine, I can give you all the statistics, you know, well, you know, our average age is 61 and da, 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 da. Yeah. But it's really, it really comes down to uh, an amazing variety of people who all have a common interest. We've had, you know, we've had people on board who literally have saved up for 20 years to do this. Wow. Wow. You know, I mean, and, 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 and you know, to me, those are the most interesting people of all because they've been waiting and waiting and saving and, and this is their, their one big shot to go do this. And yet, you know, we also have people who, you know, they're quite wealthy, they're well-traveled, they've yeah. already done all the other things that lots of folks think about. They've been on safaris, they've gone to Machu Picchu, they've done these things. And and this is sort of a bucket list item. 
Uh, so we get this wide variety of people. But what, what the commonality is, they all have this interest in this this really unique area. And that's what makes it so much fun. I mean, mm-hmm. I had I, I, I go down a couple times a year and I work on the ship and um, get your hands dirty. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's important, right? If, you. you're, yeah. if, you, if you're in my job, I mean, and, and you think that your job is really looking at spreadsheets, then I think you're missing something. Yeah. Um, you know, but I, I remember having a dinner and at one table, we had a guy who was a, a, a former member of British Parliament. We mm. had another guy who had just sold his, his business to, to Disney for $300 million. And we had another guy who had been on America's 10 most wanted list for 14 years. <laughs> and we're all sitting there having a conversation together. And I'm thinking, this is unbelievable. I mean, yeah. where else in the world could you be sitting and having dinner with these this group of characters? Yeah, and no we're kidding. all having a very common conversation. And it, it was super cool. I mean, it, to me, it was a real crystallizing moment about how you know, how diverse and yet how similar all of our, our clients actually are. Right. You you touched on something that I thought was really interesting, which is there's these, there's certain people, of course, and of course, some people, you know, they're, they're better off, whatever. It's not quite as much of a commitment to do something like this. But for those that have spent 20 years, 10 years, even five years, whatever it is, it's really saving to have this experience. And I assume for a lot of people, it's kind of like, you know, it's the last continent they haven't been to, et cetera. What is, you know, what's it like when they see either the landmass or step onto the shore for the first time? And can you tell me about some, some of those times when you've seen people have that experience and, and what goes through their head? What, what kind of emotions are they having? Yeah, I can. Uh, you know, it, it, you know, we as a company, we're, we're there all the time, right? So people often think, well, you must get kind of used to it and it, you know, it's kind of normalized and it, it never is actually. Yeah. So for us within our company, you know, and I'm, I'm sure many other companies in the industry, you know, our ethos is that, you know, we we want every person to, to experience this and, and we want to experience it with them as though it's the first time ever. Right. Uh, I think personally, someone who saves up for all of these years, the, the responsibility that we have to make this exactly what they want it to be is just awesome. I mean, yeah, it's, it's huge, right? You know, you can, you can always get money back to be quite honest. Yeah. Right? But yeah. you're never going to get that time back. You're never right. going to get that 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 sense that you know I, I waited for so long to do this and somehow yeah. it didn't live up to what I my expectations. So sure. so for us, like the pressure is really on when we know that these guys are on board because yeah. it's like man, we man we can't we can't blow this. We got yeah. like this has to be what they want it to be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, of course, within reason. And what I can say is we are just as excited as they are because we sort of feed off their excitement. Yeah. And, and for us, it, 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 it brings us back to our first time. And, you know, I've had, you know, I, I've seen people, you know, get so excited. They're, they're almost speechless. I mean, yeah, uh, I, I mean, I can actually tell you a personal story. My wife, the first time I took her down there, she stepped off onto this beach and she was literally surrounded. I mean, surrounded by over 200,000 king penguins that you know, stand, <laughs> stand a few feet high and they're like super cool. And, yeah. and she was like a little kid at Disney World. She couldn't, she couldn't even speak. She just kept making these weird noises. Yeah. And, and to this day, I mean, I'm still, I'm still like, I'm still laughing about it. It was, it was so charming. And, yeah. And we see it all the time. I mean, people have started crying. They get they they become speechless. 
and, and people are all there for their own different reasons, right? Sure. Some are there for historic reasons. You know, they're all into the, they're into polar history. They're into, you know, all that sort of stuff. For others, it's photography and they come with massive amounts gear. of really cool gear. Yeah. Uh, others, it's, it's just the landscape. Uh, for me, I'm a landscape guy. So, you know, I just, I'm just in awe of, it's so rugged. It's so unbelievably rugged yep. that you literally feel like you're on another planet. And, yeah. and to me, that's, that's what I like about it, but that's personal for me. Yeah. That sounds like an amazing part, amazing part of the experience. I, I do this segment on the podcast called explain that Graham. Now you're a bit of a ghost on the internet. <laughs> I have to say right. you've done an impressive job uh, being stealthy on there, given that you've had a long career in, in travel. So, uh, you're not on the, on the Instagram, but what I did, and I think you'll, you'll hopefully be able to speak to this. Anyway, the, the premise behind explain that Graham is I go back through a guest's Instagram or social media feed, find something interesting that they've posted and then ask them to kind of tell me more about the story behind that. For you, that was a bit of a challenge, <laughs> but I, I, what I did was I watched some of the videos on the Polar Latitudes YouTube channel, and right, okay. I found a few videos with these clips of like piles of gigantic bones on on beaches, and yeah. I hope that this, yeah, okay, so you you're familiar with that, so I want to know what's going on there. <laughs> well, none of those were our guests, by the way. So okay, all right, uh, clear that up. <laughs> Clear up your first question. You know, we haven't lost anybody yet. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, there there is a place where where we go. Uh, it's 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 near a, a British base called Port Lockroy. It's adjacent to that base. It's called Jugula Point, and that might be one of the places you're thinking about. I mean, the the beaches are literally, you know, covered in some cases with you know old whale bones and you know skeletons of of you know, various other things that have died. But there is a place in uh, this Jugula Point where there was a complete whale uh, reconstructed by Jacques Cousteau and all the bones were, were sort of set Whoa. as though you, as though you would see them in a museum. So it's really a cool thing to do. Wow. And, and at one point, you know, of course, people being people, someone, someone sort of disarrayed it. Uh, yeah. And so some of the guys from our team went down and put it back together. But Cool. Um, That's good. Yeah. So basically what you're seeing is you're seeing the remnants of, you know, uh, whales, mostly it's whales, seals. So I want to get into some, some of the stories about specifically time spent down there. Obviously it's a storied place. People like Shackleton had a pretty harrowing experience down there. So hopefully not on your cruises, but I'm curious, like what are some <laughs> of the more dangerous things that have happened? Um, either to you or to, uh, of course, guests, I suppose. Yeah, it's probably not a really good thing for me to talk about dangerous things. But, <laughs> you know, you know, as I said earlier, it, it is a place that's, it's so wild and it's so unpredictable that we have to take extreme measures all the time. Uh, again, this might not be exactly what you're looking for, but you can steer me in the right direction if I'm going sure. off on a different tangent. You know, so every time we go ashore, every time we leave the ship, you know, we, we, we travel in Zodiacs, which I think, you know, most people are, are familiar with. Yep. And every Zodiac has, has complete survival kits in it. So let's hmm. say because with the wild and woolly nature of this place, it's it's not 
it's not likely that it would happen, but it's not unlikely that it could happen that you could get stranded somewhere and you're yeah. going to have to maybe spend the night or mm. maybe you'll have to have enough emergency rations and food. And so we'll yeah. when we go out, we always carry, you know, we have uh, tents and we have emergency rations and we have gear and everybody's got, uh, you know, radios and GPSs and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Because things can change quickly and there have been expeditions thankfully not ours where people have been stranded ashore o- overnight Whoa. uh it's it's rare like you know, a storm uh, comes in and or something yeah the weather comes in the ice starts to move you know you go to a landing site and it's oh, nice right. and clear and within minutes the ice starts moving in and you get stuck um it's happened we yeah. had a in my other company not not this one we had a ship that was stuck in the ice for a week couldn't move huh and it was an icebreaker, ironically. Oh, that's um, funny. Which was a little embarrassing. But <laughs> uh, you know, so so those are the kind of things that can happen. It it's 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 not a dangerous place for sure. Yeah. Uh, because of the way our operation not only us, but everyone in the industry, we yeah. we run very safe operations and yeah. you know, we all sort of monitor each other and make sure that we're doing best practices. But it's a place that's so wild and so unpredictable that this beautiful bucolic scene can turn really a, a, a little bit, a little bit shaky in, yeah. in a short time, and and it's often caused by these things called catabatic winds that come down off the mountains, huh. and the next thing you know, you're in you know 30, 40, 50 mile an hour winds. And a moment before it was it was pretty clear, and then, you know, and when you're dealing with water and ice and 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 conditions, that kind of thing can can be a little little shaky. Yeah, um, but you know, not to scare anybody that, that that might be listening to this but it, it is important to recognize that this is not disneyland this is like the real deal yeah anyone ever get bit by a penguin no 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 <laughs> we have uh uh we have we have very strict rules about how close you can get to any wildlife um <laughs> however often the wildlife don't pay yeah. attention to you don't the rules. enforce that against the penguins no, you know, so they won't bite you, but there yeah. are, there are things, you know, uh, I assume you have like a clinic on, on board the ship. Cause obviously there's no hospital down there. There's no hospital. Uh, but the ship has a, uh, you know, a pretty functional clinic, you know, yeah. it's somewhat basic, but it's, you know, it's perfectly acceptable. Yeah. Every voyage has a, a Western emergency room, practicing emergency room physician on board. Mm-hmm. So we can deal with, you know, the odd bumps and bruises and scrapes most yeah. likely the the doc spends most of his time you know dealing with you know seasick and just mild things like that yeah but you know the thing that we're we're most careful about on land are um fur seals you uh, know certain yeah. times of the year fur seals can be a bit aggressive <laughs> yeah a bit naughty yeah i mean and again you know we have all these intricate rules that are to protect the wildlife but they often don't pay attention and so we've had instances where you know uh we had we had one a guide who worked for me he he was like lying on the beach you know getting a little bit of sun while people were out walking around and he fell asleep and when he woke up there were about 16 penguins sitting on his chest um uh and i have i have it on film so when he denies it i can actually prove it that's Um, hilarious yeah so you know those things happen quite a bit but it's a relatively it's tame place. But, yeah. it, but, you know, the flip side, and of course, what's interesting about Antarctica is that there's always a flip side. Mm-hmm. The flip side is this is the remote, most remote place on the planet. Zero 
you know, full stop. There's no place you can go when you're further away from stuff. So if something does happen, you know, people have this tendency to think, well, okay, I'll just get airlifted or I'll get evacuated or something. No, there is none of that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, you're there. We are a self-contained little pod and we have to take care of ourselves. And we yeah. have to, you know, and other ships are around and they all offer assistance if something were to happen. But, you know, it's like like nobody's going to come and rescue you. You have to be self-sufficient. And so all yeah. of the ships down there are 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 well equipped, more than well equipped to to be self-sustaining in that respect. I think some people might say, well, well, wait a minute. I've seen there's landing strips and stuff like that, but those are like that, those more scientific outposts. And and of course, correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys do most of your cruises along that kind of peninsula that stretches up towards the correct. the southern tip of South America. So yeah, it, it's the it's called the Antarctic Peninsula. It does stretch uh, you know up toward the southern tip of of, of Argentina. Yeah, um, you know, and there's reasons to go there. A, it's 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 the the weather conditions are the best. Uh, it's where most of the wildlife is. Um, people don't realize it, but you know, Antarctica is the highest concentration of wildlife in the world. Wow. So, <clears throat> you know, so it, it's where all of the great colonies are and all the wildlife is. And there are, as you mentioned, there are the occasional, there, there are science bases and there's one in particular operated by Chile, mm-hmm. um, on, on a, an island called King George Island. And, and it does have a strip. So if, yeah. in a really extreme case, if something bad were to happen, you know, any of our ships, not just us, but any of the ships would have to sail to that base and get somebody ashore. And then a plane from Chile would come and pick them up. Oh, wow. It sounds like an ordeal. You know, that, You'd that rather has not. happened. And yeah, it, it's oh, not wow. what we want to do. So we tend to be self-sufficient. Uh, and yes, 90% of the people who visit Antarctica are all visiting the Antarctic Peninsula. Oh, okay. So, but some people do leave from South Africa and maybe even New Zealand too. Is that right? Yeah. And where... Yeah. I know this isn't what your business does, but I mean, what are you going to see that's different if you leave from those places versus Argentina? Well, if you leave from from New Zealand, you're going to East Antarctica. It's much more remote. You know, the conditions are much different. You don't get as much. You don't get the whole wildlife scene that you would get on the peninsula. Mm. Um, it's you know, you're you're more into what you would have found. Um, you know, if you went down you know, 50 or 60 or 70 years ago. Um, if you come from South Africa, again, you're most likely going to see sub-Antarctic islands. You're most likely going to be on, on East Antarctica. There's also a number of operators who go into the interior. Um, oh, wow. And so a lot of that happens from some of those areas as well. Yeah. Um, you mentioned like the icebergs and the ice moving. And I know at least I've seen it in like the nature documentaries maybe this is more indicative of like greenland in that area but you've got these massive icebergs that turn over does that happen yeah. down where you guys cruising oh, yeah. yeah, th- that just seems insane and what's what are some of the biggest ones you've seen turn over and i mean is that an issue well i i didn't i never saw this one turn over and i'm glad i didn't but we did sail past one last year that was 11 miles long holy smokes and it was flat as a pancake on top it was a you know a tabular iceberg, as they're called, but it was dead flat, like an airplane strip, and it was 11 miles long. Whoa. But we have seen some some roll. Uh, you know, most of, of an iceberg, everyone knows, is underwater. Yeah. But because it's underwater, that part of it is melting. And so uh-huh. at some point, it becomes top-heavy because the bottom has melted away, and it yeah. just rolls. Yeah. You know, and then the, the natural process happens again. Now that, that 
what was the top is now underneath and it's starting to melt and then it'll roll again. And so, you know, we have very strict rules. All of us have very strict rules about never getting anywhere near anything like that in a Zodiac, you know, and yeah. often guests will say, Oh, let's get right up to the Zodiac. Oh, you know, to right. the iceberg. And we're like, no, no, actually we're not going to do that. Yeah. We're going to step back here a little bit. Yeah. Um, and every once in a while you'll catch one, you'll hear a little bit of a groan. Then you, you know, you turn and you look wherever you're, it's coming from and you'll see one start to roll. And it's a, it's a kind of an awesome thing to see. Yeah. And after you do see it, you're really glad that we didn't get close. Yeah, um, because it will also create and, and there's calving as well. So the glaciers that that move down and out into the sea, they'll start to break off and have this, you know, this process called calving. And, mm -hmm. you know, some of those are massive and these yeah. giant chunks of ice come down into the sea. And then, of course, it creates this bit of a tidal wave. Right. So it makes this big wave right, right. then starts coming out toward you. And, you know, the Zodiacs ride up over it and the ship has to ride up over it and stuff. But, you know, it's not something that you want to be, you know, you don't want to be real close to that. Yeah. Well, obviously icebergs were a legitimate problem for one now fairly infamous cruise ship that happens to be at the bottom of the ocean. So how do you, <laughs> how do you like safely cruise through the waters that are laced with these icebergs and <laughs> I have a picture of that ship on my wall, by the way. Um, Starts with a yeah, T. I think that was... <laughs> Ends with a C. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, the, the ships, we have 21st century, you know, equipment on board. Uh, we've got radar. We've got, you know, with our new ship, we have the highest ice rating that any ship can have, mm -hmm. absent being, uh, you know, an industrial icebreaker. Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we, you know, the, the rule is you never want to touch ice, you know, the when I used to sail, the first rule was don't hit anything. Yep. You know, so we, we, you know, but we've got, you know, we've got radar, we've got sonar, we've got all of the, the modern equipment. You know, we can see weather coming. We're, we're yeah. much, much better than we used to be at being able to predict and, and get away from bad weather situations. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but we can also, you know, our captains are really quite good at this. They've been down there for years and years and they can thread through these channels that have, you know, that look almost ice blocked. But yeah. because of the equipment on board, they can thread their way through and people go go wild. I mean, you're mm. literally you feel like you could reach out and touch this piece of ice, but you just quietly slide right past it. It's super mm. cool. Interesting. We've kind of like gotten into a this danger zone segment, which I didn't intend to. But I do have one more question, which is like if the environment and bodily harm slash death, I guess, wasn't a consideration. What's something you would really love to do on Antarctica, but is kind of too dangerous right now? Um, well, to be honest, there, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I hope people listening to this don't think that we're creating this sense that it's a dangerous place. Uh, it's a wild place for sure. And it's, it's, it's really the last real wilderness left in the world, but you know, we're, we're, we're doing it quite safely. And, you know, as I said, in 10 years, we haven't lost anybody. So yeah. there's really nothing that I would rather do down there. I mean, mm. I might like to get further into the interior. But for me, to be, you know, completely frank and just cruising in our ship through some of these channels that are just spectacularly, mind-blowingly beautiful, mm -hmm. um, being out in, in, in my Zodiac uh, as the sun's coming down a little bit and mm -hmm. the light all starts to, starts to soften and you've got people that are just super happy and they're, they're tired and they're content and 
they're just smiling and for me just puttering along in my boat and or or being on shore with people like that's what i like doing right yeah. so i don't i don't i'm not one of these guys that like I don't need to climb that next mountain. I'm happy yeah. being right where I am. I saw you guys offer camping, which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. What's that experience like? <laughs> Everybody wants to do it once. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I, I've been on voyages where we said, hey, let's do another night. And everybody's like, nah, nah, we're good. We're cool. Uh, <laughs> once is enough. I can, I can <laughs> yeah, still say I did it. <laughs> um, yeah. It's a very fun experience. And, and it's not like what you would think, right? So it is at times, tremendously noisy, right? Because you're, you're out someplace where it's, uh, you know, you're out on, on, you're on land, you're not on, on ice, but you're on land. And we have a, we have campsites and, and we have some tents. All mm-hmm. the equipment is really super top notch. We've got minus 20 degree sleeping bags and we've got sleeping pads and we, you know, you know, people are pretty comfortable. Yeah, they're set Frankly, the, the, the most common complaint when they get back to the ship the next day is that they were too warm. <laughs> It's a good problem um, to have. Yeah, but but you'd be surprised how noisy it is, right? So you're lying there, and it's you know you've, you've made your little bed. You're you're laying in there, and you hear ice groaning and cracking and snapping. Oh and you wow! Hear penguins, penguins making that little noise they make, and you hear these like these bang and boom, and you know it almost sounds like thunder, but it's just ice moving and cracking. And um, wow, yeah, it's crazy. a really cool thing. What we what we do is we have some people sleeping in tents. That's you know option. You can elect a tent. A lot of people like to sleep out in, oh, under yeah, stars just... in in what are called bivy bivy sacks, bivy uh-huh. bags. So you dig a small little trench. Not to get into the danger thing, but it looks a little bit like a grave. Yep. So you know it's a few <laughs> feet down into the snow, and you, so you're down below where the you know, the wind and, and stuff would go, yeah. go right over top of you. And you get down in there in your little sack and, you know, zip it up to your nose and go to sleep. And people love that. They wake up, there's a little, little bit of snow on, the, on their face. And <laughs> um, yeah, it's super fun. I wow, mean, that's we, really cool. And we have to keep expanding it because more and more people want to do it. I mean, you know, we have, you know, we have voyages where the camping is all sold out and people will say, well, I'm not going if I can't camp. And so, okay, well, we'll, you know, add a few more, add a few more. Kayaking is also a, a thing. I mean, yep. if you can get onto the kayak program, I would say it's a, it's a must do. It, yeah. Those are really, really, you know, being on the water that close where you're essentially in the water. Yeah. It's a completely different scene. Right. It's really fun. That's really cool. Well, how have you seen the environment down there change as, uh, and we talked about this right at the beginning with, with climate change, um, obviously being, uh, having a huge impact on the polar regions. Yeah, it is changing. I mean, you know, it's undeniable and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's been getting slightly warmer. We see the wildlife, um, starting to, to migrate a bit, you know, um, <coughs> a number of penguin species are moving further South, uh, to get into a little bit colder areas. And so we do see that we see the ice, changing we see glaciers beginning to retreat a bit mm-hmm. um you know so there's that environment that we we can see changing you know and of course we're super conscious about our own environment the travel environment and making sure that we're not contributing yeah. to any of that change and then also the, uh, the the next segment of travel environment is making sure that we're you know we're not contributing toward no offense but turning this into sort of a theme park Yep. We're very conscious of the fact that whatever we do down there needs to be focused on on immersing people 
in the environment, not yeah. distracting them from the environment with, you know, various toys and bells and whistles and all these things that start to become introduced when travel becomes more mainstream. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're, we're kind of old school. You mentioned I don't do a lot of, uh, social media, you know, social media stuff. I mean, I, I, I've mastered Facebook. That's about <laughs> it for me, but you know, we're, we're a little bit old school in that respect. We think the things that we do down there should be people powered, not, not motor powered. Yeah. So we, we kayak, we, we camp, we, we do science projects. We hike. We're going to mm -hmm. add some snowshoeing this year. So oh, that's really cool. And do a little snowshoeing. But, you know, we're, we're trying to avoid things that are motorized. So we don't do helicopters. We don't do submersibles. Yeah. We don't do, you know, jet skis or whatever, whatever else jet people skis, might want oh, to God. do. You know, so we're, we're really trying to sort of, I don't know, uh, uh, you know, and maybe we're, we're trying to hold back the tide. I don't know. But we're, 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 we're trying to keep it focused on the environment and not on, on distracting one from the environment. Yeah. And just keeping it pristine. Like you said, I, I read that you guys, uh, well, not only do, does everybody kind of step into some sort of a solution before they get on and off the boat, but you guys like vacuum the Velcro on their coats and the lint out of their pockets. <laughs> yeah. I mean, tell me a little bit about that. Well, we have very, yeah, there are very strict uh, rules about visiting Antarctica. It is literally the most regulated place on the planet. There is mm -hmm. nothing that we can do that is not regulated and or has to be permitted. Mm -hmm. Right. So when I was just mentioning me about camp. Yeah. Yeah. Oh well, yeah. We can add another five or six or 10 campers, but we have to go to the government and get a permit for that. We can't just go ahead and add more people because everything has to be documented and permitted. And one of, one of the things that we do as an industry is we're very uh, careful about introducing anything foreign into the environment. Right? So hmm. before you go ashore, all of your clothes have to be inspected and cleaned and we vacuum, you know, any little seeds or anything that might contribute to, you know, a, a contamination uh, off your clothes. We look in your backpack. We make sure that those little Velcro strips on your, your pants or your jacket or don't have any fuzz on them. Yeah. Um, uh, we, we inspect the bottom of your boots. There's no mud. There's no, no foreign material that's coming from, wow. from outside the environment. And yeah. plus, before you get off the ship, you step into this, uh, this disinfectant. Uh, and then when you come back, you step back into the disinfectant. So we're never introducing anything new into the environment that is yeah. not, not meant to be there. You said that the gov you have to get a permit from the government. So yeah. which government does that? Because I guess I don't fully understand how Antarctica <laughs> works, but I, I know it's yeah. kind well, of. I mean, there's there's an Antarctic treaty and, and there are, uh, you know, a number of companies, uh, countries are signatories of this of these, this, this treaty. Uh -huh. And so each of the companies like, like mine, we all report to our national authority. So we're a U.S. company. So we report to a, a specific division of the Department of State. The U.S. Oh, Department of State for Antarctic, and so we get our permits from them. If there are any in incidents that we that need to be reported, we report to them. Yeah, uh, we have to we have to uh, put together environmental impact statements for everything we do and yeah. submit them for approval. So, you know, it, it, it. I'll go back to what I said earlier. This is, without a doubt, the most regulated place on the planet. Yeah. But it seems like that is working because yeah, you it know, is working. You you basically said that it looks the same way it did last time you were there as it did the first time you were down. So that's that's really cool. Yeah, and and again, there are some slight changes. You know, some glaciers are are moving around and stuff. But but it's uh, it's a phenomenal place, and 
And, and it's incumbent upon all of us who go there to make sure that it stays that way. Do you get anything in your passport for visiting Antarctica? <laughs> no, but you can. Uh, I mean, you don't te- you don't legally because it's not a it's not a country. It, right. it, it has no government, right? Uh, again, this is another thing that makes it really sort of amazingly unique. It's a it's a it's a it's a, it's a continent that's not actually owned by anybody. It has no government. Um, you know, various countries claim little sections for their their research sites and stuff, but it, it's it's literally a place that's owned by the world. And it's 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 by by definition dedicated to peace and science. So yeah. there's no government. So nobody's going to be stamping your passport. However, yeah. the various research bases that we 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 visit, they all have little individual stamps. Okay, and that's you cool. Can get, you, you can get your passport stamped. And I can tell you when you get back to, let's say you're from the States, most of our clients are from the States. When you get back to the States and that guy at, at uh, you know, border security is looking at your passport and he sees these funny stamps that he can't figure out. You know, yeah. It really raises some eyebrows, right? Because some that's of them are from funny. Chinese bases. Oh, uh, we've yeah. got some from, from Russian and Ukrainian bases. <laughs> and, you know, and they see these things and they're like, what the hell is that? That's really interesting. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you can you you can get that. And you can also get a stamp from the ship. Okay. So we, cool. we have an Antarctic stamp on the ship that we could put in your passport that says, yes, I've been there and I was on this ship on this date. So yeah, you can, people like to collect stamps and we understand that and it's kind of cool. So we have, we have our own. Well, like you said, people like to collect stamps and other things and it's a kind of, it's definitely yeah. a place where most physical items, you know, you do not want people leaving with anything physical, but a, a stamp is a good meeting ground. Yeah, no. And, and it, it's a, it's another important thing you brought up. I mean, nothing, nothing. Not a stone, not yeah. a feather, nothing can be taken from the beach. Yeah. So, or, or left behind. Just getting into now a little bit more like the logistics of actually traveling there. How do you, you live in Vermont. So, what route Correct. do you take to get down to Ushuaia? Well, I go Boston to Miami, mm-hmm. Miami to Buenos Aires, Buenos Aires to Ushuaia. Okay. So, you fly American? Yeah. I, I typically do American. A lot of people from the West Coast will go through Dallas. You know, let's say L.A. or San Francisco to, to Dallas-Fort Worth and then Dallas-Fort Worth to, to Miami. If you're from the New York area, you can go direct from from uh, New York to, to, to Buenos Aires. How long of a flight is that? To, uh, about 11 hours. That's pretty long. Um, you know, I typically, you know, as I said, I, I, I go to Miami and connect there. Yeah. Down to Ushuaia. Um, probably only one or two airlines fly that route. And I know the Aerolineas Argentina does and they're, they're in the Sky Team Alliance. So for those of you with yes, correct. Uh, Delta miles, Air France miles, you could potentially book that. Do you, do you personally, uh, use the miles that you earn from all this travel on either travel down there or for other things? Yeah, yeah you bet. There's nothing I like more than traveling. So you know, we, we, we work with ship owners that are based in Europe. So I, I'm in and out of Europe quite a lot, you know, and when, when I take holidays, my wife and I will, will use those miles, but yeah, I, I rack up, you know, a couple hundred thousand miles a year. So yeah. uh, that's a nice, it's a nice perk. Yeah. What else do people, do people try and combine their time either in, in Ushuaia, I, I suppose Buenos Aires would be a lot easier, but do people try and do other experiences in the area? Yeah. Yeah. What else is there? Uh, yeah, another good question, actually. But I'm always amazed, you know, because Americans, we, we're, we're sort of a, an interesting lot, right? We we like to do things quick, get in, get out. 
Get yeah. in, see some penguins, see an iceberg. Good, mm-hmm. seen it. Boom, get out. Yeah. Um, people from other countries really do a much better job of having a holiday. You know, Australians, um, Europeans. This is a they're great gone point. For, they're gone for months. Yeah. You know, there's not an American alive that wants to go anywhere for a month. <laughs> they want to do it in five days. You know, yeah. so, you know, we see lots of people who are doing the grand tour of Antarctica, I mean, of South America. You know, they they go to Machu Picchu, they go to Chile, they go here, they go there, they're in Patagonia, they're hiking, they're doing those things, and they're doing, you know, Antarctica while they're on this grand tour. And we've had people who've come down literally last year. This was really amazing for me, you know, gratifying plus amazing. We had someone who came down and stayed on for four voyages in a row, just never Four never voyages in a row. Yeah. Wow. At, at the end of each voyage, she would say, are there any open spaces on the next one? I'll buy that spot. And then she'd buy the next spot. Oh, that's cool. That spot. sounds expensive. <laughs> well, yeah, we, we, we love her, by the way. Yeah, um, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we, we, you know, some of our staff have uh, some two of our, our best staff, best ever staff, were people who started out as clients and we just Huh. We couldn't get rid of them, so we had to hire them. Uh, <laughs> they wouldn't leave. Can but, we you know, move you to crew quarters? Uh, yeah, we'll pay you. Not, you know, non-Americans tend to do much, much longer vacations, and and those are people who you know they really come on board with a variety of experiences. Yeah, you've worked in adventure travel like your whole career, and I wonder if you have any great travel tips to help people have better adventure travel experiences. Yeah. For me, I think, you know, it's, it's create a, create a travel pattern that is defensible, right? So stay in local accommodations, buy from local vendors, Mm -hmm. you know, combine two or three trips into one trip. So you spend less time in the air, less time burning carbon. Um, You know, and I think you can, you can move away from sort of travel shaming people and you can move into where people feel like they're, they're actually doing it in a responsible way. And I think, you know, travel contributes, you know, in some estimates, you know, 25% of the world's economy is based on travel. So, you know, we don't want it to go away, but we want it to be done in a responsible way that, you know, frankly, is somewhat defensible. So I think use local vendors, stay in local hotels and hostels, um, you know, buy local food, eat in local restaurants, uh, employ local guides, you know, stay away from these big sort of, you know, multinational chains. Yeah. You know, that, that's, that's what I do. That's what I Those like are great suggestions and yeah. definitely has worked for me as well. Yeah, I know. I, I, I watch your reel and you're all over the world as well. So, um, you know, I'm sure you know the same thing. Yeah you're definitely going to have a better experience if you, if you do do it that way. Plus you meet really cool people. Yep. The best I mean, people. You know, like you really meet people that are just fun and they, they enlarge your view of the world. They, you know, they, they add to your level of sophistication about other points of view. You know, it's really, it's it, to me, that's what travel's all for. Yeah. Well, this, this transitions really nicely into my last question. And when you, it's, it's interesting because you, your travel is focused on a place, um, I mean, dare I say it, with, with no culture, right? Because no people live yeah. in Antarctica. So this is, this is, I'm really curious to hear how, how you'll answer this. Because when you think back of all the people who travel with you and all the places you've been, you know, you used to work in safari. I presume you lived in Africa at the time. But um, when you think back on all that experience, what impact has travel had on you? And what impact do you believe it has on the world? 
Well, for me, uh, you know, and, and <laughs> I like to think the world is bigger than me. To me, it, it is, it, it's in, in, enlarged my point of view about everything, right? So I feel much more empathetic toward other cultures. I feel much more understanding. I feel like I, uh, I can relate to other points of view better. You know, having gotten out of my little, you know, cocoon or my echo chamber or whatever we tend to want to live in, um, I think I think that's for me personally. Uh, it's it's been an important part of of my family life. My kids have been doing these kinds of things since they were five or six years old, and now two of them work in the industry as well. So, you know, my my whole family life is based on getting out into the world and seeing and experiencing and relating to as much as you possibly can. I think it, it makes us better global citizens and, and sort of less insulated. And I think that's, you know, to, to your larger point, I think if more people had that perspective, I think we would be, you know, frankly, I think we'd be a better and perhaps even safer world. That's John McKeon. You can't find him on social media, but you can find his company, Polar Latitudes, on Instagram. If you enjoyed the show or learned anything from it, it would be supremely awesome if you'd share it with someone who might find it interesting or rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. Doing so helps other people find these episodes. As always, feel free to reach out on social with any questions or comments. Once again, I'm your host, Ian Grimace, wishing you smooth travels. Peace!